Hello, one and all, and welcome to the slickest, swinginest, brand new Movie Guys podcast, starting now and running for 55 weeks. This show is going to cover every single movie in Harrison Ford's career, one per episode, and we're calling it The Ford Fiesta. of you counting along at home that's just over a year until the call of the wild so get excited i'm decades long harrison ford fan adam witt and i'm harrison ford can do no wrong theorist paul preston that's right from 1966 to the present day each episode of the ford fiesta will be given the seminal movie guys once over talking story talking making of and getting weird with every facet and angle of harrison ford's massive imdb page but first, a little housekeeping. Uh, please chime in with your thoughts at themovieguys.net or at themovieguys all over social media. Uh, tell us what your favorite Harrison Ford movie is and what you what you hope we'll cover. Um, also, please give likes, subscribes, reviews where you can. How are we doing? Uh, since this is episode number one of the podcast, we're going to start with a very curious movie, a movie we were very interested in, huge Harrison Ford fans, and we had never seen this movie, and the stop number one to becoming a Harrison Ford completist is a movie he's very famous for making a tiny, tiny appearance on, that is Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, a James Coburn crime caper most famous for Ford's small part as a bellhop. Aging Mr. Herman. Yes, and if you don't know what the movie's about, we'll get to our patented movie guys recap in a moment. But first... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? We want to touch on that every week. And as of now, he hasn't put out a movie in close to a year with the aforementioned Call of the Wild. So here's what's in the pipeline. Now, recently at the Disney Investor Day in December, they announced, in fact, that Indiana Jones 5 is going to happen. They talked about this for years, you know, and they've talked about, of course, who he's going to eventually hand the man- mantle over to. It seems like the Shia LaBeouf experiment's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> remember <laughs> that year? Continue. Remember that year where all the sequels were just waiting for Shia LaBeouf to get old enough to be in them, like Wall Street. Finally, we can make a Wall Street sequel. And it's interesting. Now we love Shia LaBeouf because he's so eclectic with his cool choices. But now we don't want him to make an Indiana Jones movie. Keep right? doing your weird stuff. Yeah. He spent all this time becoming respectable again and interesting again. Like when he just did the Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, I, I mean, I love Shia LaBeouf. I've never, yeah. I've never stopped loving him. He's just, he's a fascinating character. But you're right. Now he's finally reached the point. Honey Boy. It makes Honey Boy this heartfelt Great tale of his life. And now, nah, you can't be an Indiana Jones. No, nor should he be. Keep. Keep making your peanut butter falcons. Those are the those are the way to go. I mean, what a terrible thing, though, also to put the hat on Shia LaBeouf and have him run. Th- I mean, that would make a terrible Indiana Jones. That's weird that they were thinking of even like passing it on to him to begin with. Well, actually, it's my favorite mo- part in that whole movie, which we'll get to in forty-five <laughs> weeks. <laughs> uh, Crystal Skull was when he picks up the hat at the end, mm-hmm. and Ford grabs it from him. It's like not today. It's like damn straight. <laughs> Indy's still here. India's still here. Don't you talk about who's next? 
Yeah, maybe they were never planning on making him the next Indiana Jones, and it was that was just sort of a he was always just going to play the son, and because there were all those rumors of like, ooh, is he going to become the next Indiana Jones? They were like, no, he's not. <laughs> but we have a new director when Indiana Jones Five, whatever it's called, comes out, and that is going to be James Mangold. Oh, or this Mangold. is news to me. But we Mangold. like we like Mangold. Mangold. <laughs> it just sounds dirty. But, uh, I mean, we're such fans of his, right? The Logan, the Wolverine, oh 310 to Yuma. There's just so many good movies he's, he's made. Night and Day, right? Night and Day. Tom Absolutely. Cruise movie ever. Uh, and what, what was that first movie? Even the first movie, Stallone, that he... Uh, uh, Copland. Copland, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, James Mangold could do no wrong. Yeah, those two Wolverine movies. Come on, man. I mean, to take an established property and do that with it, you could have Indiana Jones. You're, you're absolutely welcome. Yes, and Harrison Ford will return to that, so that's good news. Does he have also, to deal with George Lucas? Because like Spielberg's like, I don't have to deal with George Lucas anymore. Somebody else, somebody else do it. But yeah, like, I wonder who hangs yeah. on as a producer role. I'm curious. But of course, now it's you know Ahsoka Tano, George Lucas showing up on the set of the Mandalorian and that sort of stuff. So maybe, maybe you want this George Lucas around, the one that wrote a bunch of Clone Wars scripts, you know. The one that directed one of the first opening scenes of last season's Game of Thrones premiere, I believe. Really? You know, he's just like, he's kind of showing up and doing stuff and being eclectic. Uh, so, uh, But also on IMDb page for Harrison Ford is a TV series. Now, I don't know what to make of this. Mm. Like, I've always liked that Tom Cruise has never made a TV show. He's a movie star, for the love of God. And so is Harrison Ford. But now, Harrison Ford is on, on this record, at least in pre-production for something called The Staircase. And the plot of it is interesting. A man grieving the death of his wife who fell down a staircase is accused of murdering her. Fugitive much? Right. (laughs) That's a little bit of a fugitive (laughs) thing. The Staircase. I love they named that after the mode of of, of death. (laughs) The Staircase. (laughs) Toaster. The toaster (laughs) in the the bathtub. (laughs) Tree through the windshield. The new Harrison Ford TV show. But uh, so I don't know that. I mean, I'm going to watch it, but I just love to see my movie stars remain movie stars. We'll see how this goes. But see, that's but that's uh, that's us being old school because TV is the new movies. You know, I mean, the Mandalorian is a Star Wars movie every time you watch it. Like they've they figured out how to make TV movies. It's no longer like back in the day where, you know, a single episode of a TV show and then, you know, and then and then everything resets for each new week's thing. It's like these. You know, six-hour movies you get, or 12-hour movies. So what you're saying is, I'm being old school there. And you would be correct. But uh, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I wanted to see what else was going on with Harrison Ford. So I googled Harrison Ford news. Yeah, what were the That'll top results? That'll get you these, uh, <laughs> these magnificent headlines. Because clearly there's no entertainment news to talk about with him. There's Billy Lord once referred to her mom, Carrie Fisher's ex-lover Harrison Ford, as her, quote, daddy, unquote. Oh, my. Wait, what's okay. the date of her birth? Let's, let's work back. Okay, let's know. see. Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford would have had their would have had their romps around Empire Strikes Back, right? That's 1980. That's 40 years. Is she 40? How old is How old is Billy Lord? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, does Harrison Ford hate Indiana Jones as much as he despises Star Wars? There's a headline. This is clickbait. Wow, for you. that's such clickbait. Yeah. The hell with that. No, no. I mean, he's always like on all the interviews long before he came back to play here, uh, Han Solo, which we thought would never happen. Uh, he always had total respect for Indiana Jones. It always said, I'll never return to Han Solo, but always return to Indiana Jones. So that's pure clickbait. Yeah. And I love that he re- returned to 
Rick Deckard and didn't kill him off. So that was a spoiler. Sorry, folks, who haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. But uh, I'm glad that he survived, his character survived that movie. By the way, I have to say, because I've told this, of course, we will cover Blade Runner 2049 somewhere down the road here. Yeah, probably in October. Uh, yeah, not, 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 as, not as long <laughs> as it'll take for us to get to Call of the Wild. But, um, but I, I went in completely unspoiled in Blade Runner 2049, and it was literally a surprise that Harrison Ford was in that movie. I know, that's amazing. You told me that. I'm like, what? I feel like that makes up for so many other things that I watched trailers for and stuff and ruined, you know, moments that, you know, like the, the Terminator's good in Terminator 2. I was like, oh, if I got in cold. That's <laughs> us. You know, we we were we were making jokes, uh, you know, we're movie guys making jokes about the new releases. So, yeah, and we had to stay up to them and then we spoiled them sometimes for ourselves. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the final headline that came up when you Google Harrison Ford news. Harrison Ford lifts his mask to sip some water before an early morning tennis match in Brentwood. Where'd this come from? No surprise, the Daily Mail. So, wow. What is the editorial thing behind the Daily Mail? Like, that's just like, I mean, there's got to be a guy at the Daily Mail is like, run it. Run it. <laughs> <laughs> he lifted his mask to take a drink? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to lead with that. Although I did just see two posts today of people catching Harrison Ford shopping alone in a Ralph's in Los Angeles. I'll have to find that and send it to you. We'll, we'll, we'll post it when we post this, but yeah. <laughs> wow. That's that's great news, Adam. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. He shops. He's, he's like us. Harrison Ford seen shopping for croissants at a local Ralph's. <laughs> Well, Paul, thank you for the complete Harrison Ford update there. Uh, now, we, we'll also have four recurring segments in the show, uh, three of which we'll get to at the end of the podcast. But we have one here at the top, and it's called This Date in Ford History. What, what uh, happened around this time? We'll say around this time. Around we're this recording time. Uh, January 17th. So what yeah. happened around this time? We're not going to get down to the exact thing. We're talking January-ish, this week-ish uh, in Harrison <laughs> Ford history. And then we'll have, what's happening with Harrison Ford right now? We could do a live cam. He has no idea about. <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. I'm going to make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, breaking news, guys. Breaking news. He's making a sandwich. This date. Now, that, that would be this date in Ford <laughs> history. We go, to the, we go live to the spy cam in his living room. Uh, on uh, this date in Ford history, January 22nd, 2010, Extraordinary Measures was released. Oh, that's the Brendan Fraser. Fraser, I learned when I interviewed him. Oh. Brendan Fraser. Uh, medical drama where his son is ill and he gets super Dr. Harrison Ford to help him out. And they have to create, you know, like a Lorenzo's Oil type thing. I believe they have to find the cure for the thing Okay. to cure the, the kid. So, um, what's the other measures movie with uh, Gene Hackman? I'm confusing this with Desperate Measures. Desperate yes, Measures. Desperate God, measures. they should not be able to name two movies. That, not not now that they're doing the Schmodown, they should not name two movies that close together. I don't. How dare Hollywood? How dare Hollywood? But this is, I think, a unique day in Ford history because it's a January movie. Now Harrison Ford is Mr. Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July, right. Christmas time, and here's a January movie. So um, that's well, that might tell you all you need to know about Extraordinary Measures. <laughs> We'll get to it. Which I have not seen. And, and the reason, uh, part of the reason this started and I suggested this to you, I wanted to become a Harrison Ford completist. I was like, you know what? There's a bunch of, particularly in the tw early 2000s and stuff, uh, there was a lot, in late 90s, there was a lot of Harrison Ford movies I suddenly started missing, which is weird for you and I. 
Like there was there was a time where you did not miss a Harrison Ford movie, and then suddenly you're like, eh, Hollywood homicide. I'll catch that later. And I, I never see, did. I didn't <laughs> see Paranoia or Age of Adeline. They're there, and then one day I'll get to them. And this is our plan. And you can't help but get excited because it's a Harrison Ford movie, just like Dead Heat on a merry-go-round. All right. Well, listen, you, like all America, are no doubt asking yourself, what the hell is this movie? <laughs> a fair I still question. am. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair question, and one we'll answer now with our patented Movie Guys recap. If you're a movie guy, you might be thinking this is the sequel to the Joe Piscopo Dreet Williams movie where our lovable zombie cops get jobs as carnival security. Educated guess, but you'd be wrong, because Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, according to the film's tagline, is about the slickest, swingingest con man who ever took the world for a ride. I'm the hootinest, tootinest, shootinest, bobtail wildcat in the West. Yeah, and the film stars Harrison Ford. Paging Mr. Ellis. James Coburn, Aldo Ray, and Robert Weber round out the cast. D-H-O-A-M-G-R, or Domger, as the kids are calling it, is the story of an innocent bellhop played by Harrison Ford. Paging Mr. Ellis. Robert Ellis, room 72. No, sir, Charles Ellis, room 607. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Oh. Ford gives a crucial piece of information to a master criminal played by James Coburn, who has planned out a brilliant heist within days of getting out of prison. Or at least that's how the movie will be remembered. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. Okay, so here's Coburn's heist plan, and this is real. And this is real. This is the plot, okay? <laughs> Here we go. Okay, charm the parole officer and get out of prison. Make the down payment on blueprints to an LAX bank and set off to raise the remainder of the money for the purchase. Then, pose as a coroner and escort the corpse across the country to get to Denver. There, become a shoe salesman to talk to well-to-do women and rob them. Then, go to Boston and seduce the secretary of a wealthy elderly woman. Marry her! And send her back to LA to set up a house for the two of us. Meanwhile, establish a false front as a poet who needs to get back to LA because a songwriter is interested in my poetry. In fact, write an entire play to bolster the lie I'm telling only to my wife that I'm a writer. Then, I'll burgle another woman of her paintings and sculptures, pretending to be a trust-wearing member of the Knights of Columbus. Then, assemble the gang to rob the bank while the police are distracted by a visit from the Russian premier. Then, get costumes from a movie studio and pose as an Australian policeman escorting an extradited prisoner in order to get through airport security. Then, get my cohorts to dress as LAPD officers down to disguising a car as an LAPD cruiser to get in the bank, bypass the alarm, and open the safe. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that, that's all, really? Yeah, that's no big it. thing? That's it. That's it. You know, a lot of people complain about the Joker's plan that it's undoable in uh, in the Dark Knight, but I, I got to tell you, this, yeah. this, this is some this is some <laughs> Dark Knight stuff going on here. This is many many levels. Now he goes through a lot to eventually circle back around to one heist. This plan has a complicated web of ins and outs and twists that we're never let in on. Uh, the plan for the runtime in the movie. We're always just assured that he has a plan, and don't worry about it. Yeah, he has his heist plot, but then goes off and starts and finishes like five other movies to eventually finish the one he started. There's like a 35th movie in there somewhere with the L.A. Department of Police working with the L.A. Department of Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation to welcome the Russian premiere to L.A. and the security issues that come with that. Then they brought in the Department of Exposition to explain it all. Of course, I asked him, did Emily tell Carlos to tell you to get to me what kind of safe it was? And he says, nah, dog. All she said is that it's like super legit and whatever's in it, it's gotta be good. Does his marriage survive? 
Do the cops get a whiff of him and interrupt the heist? Will the bellhop's miscue keep him from having the biggest acting career in history? The answer to all three of these is... No. All right, well, let's talk about this movie. Because, yes, you're right. It's one we've heard about our whole lives. Yeah, because very of its famous. Because it's the big debut. Uh-huh. So uh, let's get into the, the, the numbers of it all. First and of nothing all, is more enjoyable as a movie guy than watching an entire movie waiting for one line from Harrison <laughs> Ford. Yeah. Well, I think we may grow. We'll see if that if I maintain that level of enthusiasm. Four or five movies in where Harrison Ford has one line. Hopefully the rest of the <laughs> movie that's is the always. First, yeah, that's the first five or six we got here. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, this was at a $1.7 million budget. That's average for the time. Okay. In the mid-60s. Um, I did go to the-numbers.com, which is a whole big website all about the numbers of budgets of movies and how much they're making and all that. And this movie is uh, not there, (laughs) which doesn't surprise me too much. It opened October 12th, 1966. And uh, normally we would talk about, you know, our history. Come, I mean, we get talking about Raiders of the Lost Yeah, yeah, exactly. Down the line. We're going to talk about stories about when we saw this, who we've shared it with, how many times we've seen it. We saw this, no surprise, two Sundays ago. And and crazily, it is a kind of a Christmas movie, I think. It uh, it opens at Christmas, doesn't it? And uh, I think I brought up that they have that fight back then, like his Die Hard a Christmas movie. Is right. it? He done a merry-go-round a Christmas movie. There is a Santa Claus. <laughs> There's a Santa Claus. It's a snowball fight. Yes. And when Joe's, James Corbin is in prison, they sing Christmas carols with that Oh, James, that's James Coburn. That's, that's right. Did, do you think Coburn ever had a Christmas album? <laughs> I don't think he ever had a Christmas album, and I don't think people actually talked about this movie at all. So the yeah. Christmas argument may not have happened Coburn, as much not, as I would like. To. Not much of a singing career, but I, I guess I would hear, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> Good King Wenceslas looked out. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, in the movie he has to pose as a playwright. Um, yes, yes. And he writes a whole play called Dead Heat in America. Now, actually, Adam, you were the one who, like, I heard of this movie forever, but I never thought of the title. No. You were the one who actually told me what the title is saying, Dead Heat yes. on a merry-go-round. So a dead heat is when you are neck and neck, right? And you're the two horses and they are not, one is not gaining, one is not losing. They are in a dead heat. But on a merry-go-round, the person that's next to you is always in a dead heat. <laughs> they're yeah. always exactly you can't gain ground on a merry-go-round uh so yeah dead heat on a merry-go-round but where in the world does such a such a, a it's a fascinating title and then he and writes a play called dead heat on a merry-go-round and it's all of like two seconds you know it's like in the in the just to back up the fact that he's lying to the woman who he married that he's this playwright she one time reads this play it'd be like naming your movie coin-operated bed when it's really planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, remember that coin-operated bed in that one scene that one time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like naming uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, ja- One Night at Jack Rabbit Slims <laughs> or $5 Milkshake. <laughs> there's a, I mean, yeah, it's just odd that there's a, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out what else you would name this movie. You know, like lying uh, spy Jerkoff. <laughs> Lying spy jerkoff. Yes, <laughs> That's what the, he the is. spy who the spy who came in and uh, married various women and was a total <laughs> asshole to them. He's not even a spy. That's the thing. It's it's playing on all the James Bond tropes. He's a con man. He's a con man. Which I uh, guess we should be having more fun with. But after a while, you're just like, man, I did. I don't like this guy and his whole stretching the the 
the heist out for as long as he did. I yeah. mean, I don't know. I don't know why he got back to L.A. and the two and the guys in his gang were still like, "Who are you?" Like, we had a plan to rob the bank, and then he went and got married. He went to Denver. <laughs> he was selling shoes. You were to, like, what? Yes. What are his cohorts doing this whole time? They're like, "No, there's a plan coming up." He's right now. He's getting a job as a shoe salesman. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, what he's going to do as a shoe salesman is meet a bunch of meet a rich woman that he can then marry, steal her paintings. I mean, it's like there are rich women in L.A. Follow, just follow him on this. He's going to, he's got to go to Denver to do this. Now, as completely ridiculous as his Joker plan is, I do give the movie some credit for not, exp- I mean, certainly you can't explain it at the top. You're going to lose the audience like, what? I mean, just the way we did just now. But um, to keep it a mystery is a choice. So that, that, I mean, that kept me watching. I'm like, I got to see how this all comes together. I mean, I got to give it credit for that. Like a bad movie would try and explain at the top that this is how this is going to go down and completely fail at least it's like all right we'll just trade in on the mystery and hope the audience is excited when it all comes together he put a down payment on the blueprints to this bank but then he had eighty five thousand more to pay off to get the you know to pay the balance and get the blueprints which is why he married the woman which is why he did all this other <laughs> stuff i just borrow 85 grand he's a con man there's probably someone hey remember we were in prison together now that we're both out can i borrow 85 grand i swear to god you'll get it back after i pretend to be a policeman and with an extradited prisoner and go through a whole bunch of other stuff. But, but I, I won't have to like fly across the country and marry somebody. Now, m- but my favorite move is that he, in order to pose as a playwright, th- that there, th- in order for, to play out this part of the plan, he has to sit down and write out a whole play called Dead Heat in America Round because he hands <laughs> it to the woman and she reads it and says it's good. Like, <laughs> that's just a, a hilarious thing, like that he has to figure out how to become a great playwright <laughs> so he could rob a bank. Still, pay, still the play for 85 grand. You'll be I, fine. I mean, just thinking of this, like, master criminal working on, you know, Act 3 of Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. <laughs> or coming up with the name Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. That's very clever. He's a, probably a pretty good playwright and really wasting his, his life, try, you know, living a life of crime. Now, what, what, in the latter half of his career, what did Al Capone do? Well, he gunned down a bunch of men in a back alley in order to, you know, heist a, you know, shipment full of moonshine. How about this guy? What did he do? Well, he... Started selling shoes <laughs> and uh, decidedly not con man occupations. Right. <laughs> yeah, because he had to get good at that in order to pull it off. Uh, Did he even ever punch a guy? Like, there's no action in this movie. It's just like no. him just being, trying to outsmart everybody. Yeah, it's a lot of people going, I don't, That this plan sounds crazy. The plan we don't know much of, but they have heard. Like everybody he talks to in this movie, he's told this plan that we just laid out to, you know, they're, and that they, they're they just like, ah, there's too much heat at the airport, too much heat. Uh, then there's the number of things that uh, come up and go nowhere. Well, uh, amongst the um, uh, uh, things, the breadcrumbs that are being dropped, and some are later picked up miraculously, but, uh, but uh, amongst the ones that don't go anywhere is the guy that's going to trip the alarm shows him a uh, pen that's a transmitter. Uh, some sort of spy transmitter. And then that's the last we see of that. The wo- <laughs> they the don't woman, use it. They don't use it. The <laughs> woman that marries him gives him a tape recorder so he can write, so he can work on his plays. And you're like, ah, this is going to trip him up somewhere. Something's going to get recorded. The transmitter's going to give away his location. Those just go nowhere. Yeah. Same the with sh- the... The job like, at the shoe store goes everywhere. But the, <laughs> the, the pen transmitter and the tape recorder go nowhere. The lady he robs and steals her... Uh... Japanese sculptures 
You know, they make a point of saying he stole the Japanese sculptures, too, and he was wearing a truss. Neither thing goes anywhere. Right. <laughs> it's weird. Right. Now, what's interesting is this is 66, so James Bond is big pop culture right now, big time. So we're in that sort of early 60s, you know, before the hippies. We're about to get to hippies. But in popular culture, like, James Bond is is the jam, and that's sort of the entryway to some free love, which is going on in this movie as well. And so it's trying to be, because he has a cue. He has a cue that gives him the pen transmitter. And uh, I mean, they're just they just want to be I mean, you could see this movie having none of that in it. And people are like, "Uh, guys, James Bond is super popular. You got to get a pen transmitter in your movie. (laughs) But there's a lot of James Bond influence here. And even that that title that you said for the swinginest, the swinginest. uh, The bloodthirstiest, shoot him firstiest, doggone worstiest buccaneer has ever sailed a Spanish main. He's no Austin Powers. He's like just a big jerk. Um, and that's let's talk about that because, yeah, they, that's exactly what they call him. And in fact, the poster has him and all the women that he steals from at the bottom, only two of which he beds. And there's a big picture of a, um, a random belly dancer on there who just is in one scene, kind of in the restaurant where he's having a conversation with another woman. She's on the on the poster too, just to say, look at James Coburn's gonna bed all these chicks. He's gonna win the day. He's gonna beat up everybody. He didn't beat up anybody sleeps with two of the women but you don't feel good about it he's like lying and being yeah. a con it's just uh, it's, it's, it's very much like a dr no poster i think a dr no poster had like five women in five different colors you know dancing and doing stuff like that so it's really it's it, this is a, definitely in the wash of like everybody wanted some of that uh james bond magic in their movies but that's not why we're here Let's talk about Harrison Ford as the bellhop. This is true. Right, right. Why are we even talking about this? He accidentally gives information to James Coburn that Coburn wasn't supposed to have. Yeah. He's looking to find the first name of a of a guest in the hotel. And so when he says the paging Mr. Ellis. Paging Mr. Ellis. Robert Ellis, room 72. Oh, no, sir. Charles Ellis. Then he takes that name that Harrison yeah. Ford spilled to him, and he pretends to be that guy and continues with the con. Harrison Ford, you ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Old ladies are missing their Japanese sculptures now because of you. <laughs> nice work. That's kind of a Fletch move. Like he's just, uh, you know, take that name and uh, I'm this. I'm Frida's boss. Who's Frida? My secretary. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, elsewhere in the making of the film, we got Old Los Angeles. I noticed specifically Dana Drugs, which is here on Pass Ave in the in the Valley. And so that there was a parking lot scene that took place there. Old LAX looks amazing with the big spaceship or whatever the hell it is in the middle of LAX. That looks great oh, and timely in the mid sixties. Oh my god! And then this is this is LAX exploitation. Hey, that works uh, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, that I mean that uh, spaceship thing at LAX and the Jackie Brown hallway, the Jackie Brown point blank hallway. Oh yeah, uh, is also prominent. Um, and, uh, I, I just love seeing LAX because it is kind of a movie star airport. Yes, it needs to be updated, but, uh, that, uh, that giant spaceship thing, just put that in the back of every shot and, and half the, like the final act of the movie is all at LAX. Uh, now, so I looked up on IMDb that 301 Pass Avenue is that, that's where Sardo's Grill and Lounge used to be, right? Is that where Dana Drugs is? Correct. It's okay. All, and there's like a gar- there's like a grocery. Then no, Sardo's is closed. Yeah. Sadly, but yeah, yeah that used to be there. Former home of uh, porn star karaoke, right? Which I've been to. You yeah. have. <laughs> yeah. They're not good, but it's fun. Yeah. Well, speaking of music, of course, we talk about the music in this movie because it's totally taken a cue out of Marvin Hamlish and the '60s silly fun. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't, I wasn't aware I was supposed to be having fun a lot of the times so when the music came in with the boom. Because a lot of his interactions with the women look like lawsuits. You're like, am I supposed to be having fun? Oh, the music, okay, never mind, okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is this movie could make any scene fun. Uh, elsewhere in the cast, you spotted Vic Tayback, famous yes, from Mel's diner. Random, from Alice. Yeah, the Mel 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 Sharples from uh, from Alice is as a random, just a random person. He has no lines, which means that Harrison Ford has one more line than Vic Tayback. Well, we'll talk about that more at the Tayback Fiesta. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yes, we will. <laughs> uh, I'd never heard of Camilla Sparv before, but she plays uh, the wife who he wrongs and marries, and um, she's beautiful and no surprise was married to robert evans for a time so right and and she is that tracks because it'll come back later she is uh she is like an assistant to this rich eccentric lady who's constantly like calling for her like she needs this she needs that or whatever but then she gets married to uh james coburn and and leaves that life of of being you know assistant to this wealthy uh uh woman who needs her to, to wait on her hand and foot he takes her out of that uh, into uh, under a lie so that he can read his play to her. <laughs> yes, and that, of course, that plot line revisits the movie at the end mm-hmm. in a twist that is it one? But yes, it more. is. It could be a bigger <laughs> twist. Yeah, it could be. It, it could take it. a few more cues of uh, Stanley Kubrick movie where the money blows away at the end. The killing. There's, right? I mean, that's a big way of doing that. You this robbery was all for nothing. This movie has a softer uh, way of doing that. Yeah. And then when you think about everything he did, good Lord. Uh, and, and let's go back to Coburn one more time, because uh, one of the things that <laughs> cracked me up after we talked about it was you said how much he monologues. Like, he's always got a story going, even if they don't go anywhere, like you said. Like, he, if he stops <laughs> for two seconds, he's going to tell someone his life story and lie and make up uh, things about it, and, and then it will all be for nothing. So, I mean, he can't even go to Ralph's without monologuing about, <laughs> oh, you know, my wife left me when I was 55, went to a bit of a bit binge drinking for a while, lived overseas in Japan for a spell. But anyway, became I'm a lion thing. tamer over in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I'm looking for bread, wheat bread. If you have, which aisle is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, this has, if you haven't figured it out by now, 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. five critics. Uh, none from the time it was reviewed. A lot of people reviewing it recently and then commenting on it, probably because of the Harrison Ford presence. I think most of the reviews are just that. Famous only for Harrison Ford's appearance. At October 66 movies, just to state some other ones that came out, just for just for reference, Fortune, The Fortune Cookie with future movie castmate Jack Lemmon. Uh, Brigadoon, Return of the Seven, like Magnificent Seven, a sequel, uh, are the other movies that came out in October of 66. I want to mention one other cast member here, uh, Severn Darden of the Second City and Battle for the Planet of the Apes, I believe. Uh, (laughs) Sure. But uh, Paul and I were lucky enough to uh, be a part of the Second City and uh, Severn Darden is a legendary. uh, What else is he known for? I'm going to look. Well, I first remember him in Real Genius just because of timing. He was older then, but he played one of the older professors who shared the bunny slippers with Chris Knight. Oh, really? His character there. Yeah, and so then I looked him up, and when I saw his name again, and it went back to the beginnings of Second City, I was like, oh, this guy's a legend. And then now he's appeared in a bunch of films, 
none in a huge role, much like this. Um, yeah, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Saturday the 14th, a favorite of mine as a kid. Yeah, Richard Benjamin. It's true. Now on to our other recurring segments. Now that we know the movie Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round and its wonderful title, let's discuss a couple things here. How does Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round stack up against the definitive list of Ford essentials? Oh, what are those things? Like pointing, right? He does his yeah, thing. right. He did point. You find this man like that whole thing. He doesn't none of that here. Uh, a, a, tur- a shout. He doesn't shout. Come on. N- <laughs> none of that. No shouting. No pointing. The the mo- the question we had was what mode is he in? What ha- what Harrison Ford are we getting here? Right. And I certify that he is the nerd Harrison Ford from the scene in Blade Runner, where he pretends to be from the American Federation of Variety Artists to trap Joanna Cassidy. Excuse me, Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm from the American Federation of Variety Artists. You know, I belong to the American Guild of Variety Artists, that uh, whose actors populate the theme parks here in Southern California. Oh, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you know that was a Blade I Runner reference? I wasn't aware I sounded like that. But thank you, Harrison Ford, for clearing that up. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Paging uh... <laughs> Mr. Ellis. And the last thing would be uh, the Harrison Ford punch count. Now, we're going to track the times Harrison Ford punches somebody in a movie, mounting to a career grand total at the end of this whole thing. How many punches? We'll report. Well, in Dead Heat in America, around zero. It would zero be funny if punches. <laughs> it's like, no, the other Ellis, <laughs> you're wrong. And then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that brings a career total to date after one movie, zero punches, zero punches, zero, zero punches. points, and zero shouted lines. All right, that's one movie down. Dead Heat in America on <laughs> at least fifty-four here to go on the Ford Fiesta podcast. It's so exciting! Come back three times a month, and we'll deliver this up. And then one other week of the month, we will bring you a brand new sketch show, Movie Nonsense. If you've ever liked the Movie Guys comedy sketch, that's all that that show will be. Don't forget to follow us on uh, at the Movie Guys everywhere on social media, uh, where you can get this show and more uh, that we've done in our entire catalog at uh, uh, at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course MovieGuys.net, where we put all of our bits and nonsense. So join us next month for uh, Love, Harrison Ford's second movie and first bomb, featuring Jack Lemmon and Peter Falk. Oh, and it bombed. Yeah, oh, we'll get, we'll get into that, I guess. Didn't do well. Uh, again, another movie trying to be of its era. We'll, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about on Love. L-U-V. If you want to... perhaps a special guest. Uh, we're, we're waiting to bring guests on to have movies that people are willing to watch, but I think we found someone to watch Love. Uh, we'll see if he comes on. Uh, until then, Paul, uh, uh, we are now one movie closer to being Harrison Ford completists, which is a, a lifelong dream of ours. We love Harrison Ford. Paul... How do you think the first episode uh, went? I think it went pretty well, huh? It belongs in a museum. Mm-hmm.